So let's look into the Word tonight. It is Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And tonight we're going to look at a hallelujah for a funeral and a hallelujah for a wedding. <clears throat> kind of an odd thing, but that's what we see here in Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> There's only four times in the English where it says, I didn't, I didn't believe this at first until I started looking. There's only four times in the English Bible where it says, Alleluia, or Hallelujah. It's only four times in English, and it's right here within these first even uh, six verses. And you will see that tonight. <clears throat> and again, the book of Revelation is God, Revelation itself tells you what this is about. The title of this book, again, we've been a month since we've been in it. The title of this book means God's, God's Disclosure. God is disclosing Himself to us. We're going to read some of that in a minute. God is disclosing. He's revealing further Himself, His Son, His plans. He's revealing who His enemies are. He's revealing the future. He's revealing some of us like, I wonder what the future holds. Well, you might not know everything. Who does? But we know this much. God's revealing a lot, and we, we, he, he, counts, he gives a blessing to those who read and hear and keep those things that are written in this. And so let's look at this part, portion of the Revelation tonight, Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 uh, through 10. <clears throat> Revelation 19, after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We're going to see three things tonight. We're going to see an alleluia for this uh, funeral. We're going to see an alleluia for this wedding. And then we're going to see an oops here with John. We'll see an oops, all right? A little blunder here that uh, people can tend to make. But again, here, look what it says. Revelation 19, verse 1. After these things I heard a voice. After what things? Again, we have to fast forward our minds, our awareness. We're in the book of Revelation. We don't have that many chapters left. So what is the th these things? Well, the things that John just saw. John just saw way at the beginning of the book a vision of Jesus. Then he saw and heard God's instruction to seven churches, which are 
typical of church personalities nowadays. And then he saw things which shall be, that is, future events after the church age. And after the church age means after the rapture. Once we are raptured, all believers in Jesus Christ are raptured, there's going to be a set amount of events that are going to take place on the earth unlike any other time. Among them are God's Israel, God's covenant people according to the flesh, are going to be persecuted and harassed. There's going to be the development of this type of one world government. There's going to be the institution of the mark of the beast. There's going to be what's called the great horde. That's a twofold thing of this economic system and this religious system, which I think much of the religious system can be seen mostly in what happens through the Vatican nowadays. But you see this, you see this blossoming in a wicked way of humanity after we're gone. You see this wicked um, fruit coming of humanity. Finally, humanity gets its way. Humanity gets its man. Humanity gets the Antichrist, who's called the beast, the ultimate leader. Finally, they get to follow this guy and who Satan empowers. And humanity gets its best economic system. And humanity unites around, for a while, this religious system called the Great Whore. And it begins to, God begins to send judgments on the earth punishing man, but also sending the gospel message through angelic beings, through two incredible witnesses near in Jerusalem, and through 144 Jewish men who preached the gospel, and then who knows through who else. So God, who is sending severe judgments, is also sending clear warnings and opportunities for deliverance. And people say yes, or they say no. And now we come to this point at the end of chapter 18, we see this whore completely gone. Again, the whore represented this aspect of this religion that corrupted the earth and this economic system that everybody was so infatuated with, all the people's products and everybody's uh, focus of their purchasing was wrapped up in this uh, Babylon, it was called. And she gets destroyed. God destroys her. And the key word that we see is, Alleluia! Alleluia! Uh, It's the same as saying Hallelujah. There's multiple ways of spelling it. What does hallelujah mean? Somebody tell me back. What does it mean? Praise the Lord. Okay, exactly. So it was first heard in the Old Testament. In fact, the last five chapters of the Psalms, it begins and ends each of those Psalms, Psalm 146 through Psalm 150. The first word and the last word of each of those last five chapters of the book of Psalms starts out with the Hebrew hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The word hallelujah or hallelujah is in one word, it's actually a compound word, but in one word is the highest, it's the highest uh, expression of joy and happiness and worship toward God, capsulized in one word. Alleluia. And that's why it's a, you know, people, you've heard that word. It's like a universal word. You notice that? I read about two Christian men. One was a a black man, another one is a white guy, and they're on a, some ship, and the ship tended to be a little more of a party cruise ship, and they felt a little out of place, and they kind of went aside from some of the regular gatherings, and, and the one guy, the, each of the, these gentlemen were from different countries, and obviously different uh, ethnicities, and, and they had, um, uh, one of them spoke one language, the other spoke another, they did not understand each other at all. But he noticed one guy, so he has a Bible, and, I have, and so they start looking at each other, eyeing each other, and trying to communicate, wouldn't get anywhere, but they could tell, this guy's a Christian, and I'm a Christian, and they just, you know, kind of talking back and forth was doing no good. Finally, one of them just said, hallelujah, 
And the other guy said, yes, amen, amen. The other one said, hallelujah. The other one said, amen. So those are two universal words there that they, that they, they bound themselves together in and had a connection there. So here we go. Let's look at this in the Bible. Uh, number one, hallelujah for this funeral. The whore is gone. I said the whore. That's the word that's used here in the Bible. It's speaking of this system that everybody's infatuated with that uh, is finally out of the way. She persecuted Christians. She persecuted. Notice here it says here, um, after, look, look what it says there. It says, verse 2, for true, there it said, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power and honor to the Lord our God. Verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Whoever this whore is, whatever she's doing, it's causing a lot of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is being ramped up a lot in this country. and You have to constantly say no to it, constantly say no to it. But this whore is going to make it universal and make it uh, prevalent. And God finally judges this religious organization that this has this fornicating aspect to it. God will judge it. And she's also an organization that persecutes, look what it says at the end of verse 2, the blood of his servants at her hand. There's um, the religious, uh, some, especially Roman Catholic Church in history, has persecuted a lot of genuine Christians. And it will in the future. And uh, Christians sometimes seem to get in the way of people's religious organizations. Sometimes Christians seem to get in the way of people's economic plans, and they're going to kill them for that. And you know what we do? Sometimes we look at the injustice in the world, and it's okay. It's a natural urge within us, and it's good. We say, that's not right. Something needs to be done about that. That's not right in the politics. Something needs to be done. That's not right in that corporation. Something needs to be done. That's not right in that corrupt a child abusing, all these immoral or religious organizations, that's not right. Some, and there's something in us that says that, and that's okay. That's an innate sense of justice that we should have. But you know what? Finally, one day, God it says he's going to judge that. Verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore. Finally, God's going to begin to one by one judge that whore, Judge that religious and economic whore. Eventually, he's going to judge the Antichrist. We're going to read about that at the end of this chapter. And the devil, finally, he's going to judge the devil. He's going to stop harassing us. And there, his judgment is true and his judgment is righteous. How many of us get all fussy and out of hand when a referee makes a bad call? Anybody in the last month get upset at a referee? Whether it was, okay, look at us, man, one-fourth of us. Yeah, get upset. How many of us have ever had to referee? How many? I want to see one, two, three, four, five. Noah, you did? Now, I'm not talking about a boxing match with your brother. <laughs> it's not easy to referee, is it? I mean, even if you have the best intentions and you're not trying to favor one team, man, it's hard. You're Oh, I missed that, you know. It's hard, and then you have parents on your back. Didn't you see that? Don't you need some glasses? You know. Anyways, people, you know, we get all upset when a referee blows it or he missed something barely. And, and then, you know, when our kids lose, we, oh, it's bad, bad refs. You know, terrible refs. Well, I don't know, maybe your kid was being lazy in the game too. But, you know, we get upset at that. And, and, and in a way, it's okay. We just have to control our temper and things like that. But God's judgment is 
perfect. It's true and it's righteous. And he judges this great whore and she's destroyed forever and ever and ever. Later on in the book, this is not fun stuff, but later on in the book, the rest of people who were not converted are assembled before God and books are open and they're judged according to some precise records and whoever's not held, found written in the book of life is cast in the lake of fire. But when God does it, nobody's going to go to hell on accident. Nobody's going to go to hell unjustly because true and righteous are his judgments. One time we were here at the church. We have this shed right here, and this is about 10 years ago. And sometimes I walk by the shed, and I'll be like, ah, uh, I need to lock that shed. I'll see that it's unlocked, you know. Well, one time I, um, I walked, this is like on a Sunday morning before Sunday school. I walked by the shed. I'm running around doing this, and I walked by the shed. Oh, it's, un it's unlocked. I, it just, the door was kind of, kind of closed, and the lock was hanging there. I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's unlocked. So I closed it, <laughs> locked it, and just kept walking away. And I walked around, did my business and everything else, and ran around. And then next thing I know, I'm like, I could hear somebody in that shed. <laughs> Hi! They're, bang they're banging on the shed because I kept doing some stuff. I was like, hey! And I'm like, what is that? And I walked up, and I go, oh, oh, sounds like one of the ladies, you know. Unlocked that thing, let her, I was, this sister named Lorna, they're not in the church anymore, and it wasn't because of that, but <laughs> it, it, I don't think it was, but. I think they lasted another year. But I accidentally locked her in that shed. I felt so bad. I'm so sorry, Lorna. I'm so sorry about that. And, um, but I started thinking to myself, you know, I, have, I don't have perfect judgment. I pray the psalm. There's a psalm that says, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe thy commandments. I pray that often. But, you know, in and of myself, I, we have misjudgment, right? We don't always size people up perfectly, but God does. And he sizes up this whore. He sizes up the Antichrist, and he says, I got it. And in my time, they're going down. And, he, and they and look what heaven does. Heaven's like, finally, get this whore out of the earth. Get this dirty woman out of the way. All right, so God judges the whore. Here, look, I'm going to read you a quote by a guy. His name is John Phillips. He said, could anything be more majestic than that? God is supreme. He is Lord God omnipotent. Every being in the universe, inspired by the love of God from the humblest saint, to the mightiest cherubim joins in the swelling chorus describing this passage. Uh, it reverberates and rolls and echoes and swells and resounds until it's, it is the mighty waterfall of sound, because it says like the sound of many waters. A thunderous roar, alleluia, creatures great and small need authority. Now supreme authority has spoken. And all those whose longing should, to be properly ruled has been satisfied in God cry out in ecstasy, alleluia. And with that note rolling like shockwaves across heavenly hills, the Spirit of God turns abruptly, almost in the middle of a sentence, to another theme. Enough of the harlot, now behold the bride. That's the next alleluia. Look at this. Verse 5 to 9. Alleluia for a wedding. Verses 5 to 9. Look at that verse 5. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, verse 6, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Let me just say this. This is talking about a formal union 
not between one person and Jesus, but this bride is, represents all people saved since Pentecost. All people saved that have accepted Jesus Christ, no matter what they end up falling church they wind up in, if they were genuinely saved, genuinely accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Bible, Paul says, you are in Christ. You are espoused to one husband, 2 Corinthians 11 says. So that all people from the last 2,000 years that have truly accepted Christ in their heart will be gathered together and collected and it will be like we're called his bride. And there will be this wedding. We don't know a lot about it. There's a supper. Some of us that ought to make the Baptist happy. Right? And it says, be happy. There's a wedding finally. Did you know that every one of you is engaged, that are saved. You're already engaged. I mean, I got engaged to my wife uh, uh, December of 1993, and then we waited a year and were married the end of the next year. And, of course, she was all happy to be engaged, and I was happy to have her engaged to me. And that was, that was a blessing. And we, are, you know, we lived in, in consciousness of each other through our engagement, and in awareness of what each other liked. And she did not live with a mentality towards, wonder what other guys like of me or think of me. No, that was out of the way now. She was engaged, even though we weren't married yet. She was conscious of me. I was conscious of her, right? And then finally the day came when we were married, December 31st, 1994. And now we've been married. So right now, our lives, between now and the time of this day, you're engaged to Jesus. The Bible says in uh, Ephesians that he has given us the earnest of the Spirit. That's like saying, eh, it's like a wedding ring. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. In other words, in you is the Holy Spirit. That's like your wedding ring from God. He's got you tagged. Until the day of redemption. We're all engaged. And so therefore, between now and this day that we read about, we live conscientious of our great bridegroom. We're not, so, not all too concerned about the, what the men think of us. That is, what mankind think of us. I'm not trying to groom myself and structure my life. We're not trying to groom ourselves and structure our church as his bride to impress other men or to impress the world. We're conscious of the world. We know the world needs something that we have, which is the gospel. But ultimately, we're trying to be a Christ-sensitive church because he's our bridegroom that we're engaged, we're espoused to, is the Bible word. And so we are all engaged. The Bible talks about um, the fact that, isn't this amazing? Think about this. How does a good movie end? How does a good movie end? Usually, huh? The good guys win, and then another thing is there's a wedding. Usually, finally, there's a wedding. A lot of, lot of those, you know, the traditional movie would end or a story, but finally, you know, he beats the bad guy, and there he is at the end. He's getting married. Yay! And we all go, ah, oh, like that. And that's how this book ends right here. Now, I want you to think about this. We, our marriages, and the earthly marriages, and even the ones that we see portrayed through TV or through movies or stories, those are not 
It's not that Jesus is, what we see here, this wedding, is a symbol of what we have. Uh Uh-uh. We are shadows of something greater. Even the whole institution of marriage that God made is a neat thing, but it's a shadow of a greater reality. The greatest reality is the, the marriage between Jesus and his bride. That is Jesus and all true Christians through history. That happens here. So... Uh, our existence should be, as Christians, we should be living, proceeding in the idea like, I'm, I'm part of his bride. Our church is part of his bride. And we're going to have this wedding one day. Everybody's all excited about it. They're all excited. The bride is the church. Those called, look what it says here. Blessed are they which are called, verse 9, unto the marriage supper. It's most likely. So now some people almost define, they, sometimes you can get a little too detailed on finding the interpretation here, but it it appears that those called, verse 9, unto this supper, this marriage supper, it appears that those are Old Testament saints. You know, before before the church started, there was, and from John the Baptist back, were people who genuinely believed on the Lord. Some of them didn't understand Christ necessarily as clearly, but they believed in the Lord God, Jehovah of the Bible, and they're saved people, they're justified people, Where are they? They're in heaven. It appears they're like guests at this thing. But since Christ's resurrection, those who believed are part of that group. John called himself, John the Baptist, John 3, 29, he called himself, there's Jesus the bridegroom, and then he was trying to join people to him, and that would be basically the early church, join people to him, being the church, and he says, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. So those people that are like John the Baptist, the Old Testament, that is Old Testament saints, are the guests here. He said, blessed are they which are called unto that. He has a wedding and a supper before his return. Before his return, he prepares his bride. He's collecting, Jesus is still collecting, in a sense, those part of his bride right now until he's done. He's purging, and then he's going to, by the time we're here in the book of Revelation, he's purging Israel on earth. He's going to put away Antichrist, put away the, um, the devil, and then he's going to come back with his bride after having a wedding, of course. So here, alleluia, the wedding is here. Alleluia for a wedding. Alleluia previously to that for a funeral. And God puts away other things. Now, let's notice this last aspect here. A breach here in Edit by John. Verse 10. John, I mean, John's maybe kind of like us. We get all, whoa, they put, finally, that, that whore, the false church, the false uh, godless economic system is put away. Yes. Here's all the people in heaven rejoice. Oh, there's a wedding. Yes. And he's all worked up about this. And then next thing you know, John's doing this goofy thing here, verse 10. I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said, slow your roll, pal. No, he said unto him, see thou do not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Now, again, I, I think that John can be kind of like us. It was most likely an, 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 an angel he called himself among the brethren, among the servants of God. And John fell at his feet to worship this guy who had this wonderful message. And he's like, whoa, slow it down there. That's wrong, wrong object here. This way, 
Worship God. That can sometimes happen. We can get real excited about maybe an author or a preacher or some other person who's a, who's a God-fearing person, a person who's walking with God and pretty much everything they're doing is, is, is good and right and you get so infatuated and focused on them or some leader of some movement and you get so where you're basically bowing to them. And a wise one, if he sees that, say, hey, uh, 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 wrong way. <laughs> and John makes that blunder, and uh, the, the angel says, worship God, worship God. Jesus is to be worshipped, for he is God. He, and then it says this, the angel also adds, for the testimony that is the testifying of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I think that that term is referring to the fact that Jesus is the sum and the substance of all prophecy. The sum, you ever just like, I know we can kind of get lost in some of the Bible, lost in some of the prophecies, and I'm not saying that to tell you to quit studying it. You do study it. Study the Bible. I'm realizing more and more that Christians don't study the Bible, and I'm finding that even in our own church, and see basic things. But, but when you, as we're going through it, it's like, where is all this headed? What's all this about? Ezekiel, that's crazy stuff you see there. What's going on there? Um, you know, and basically it's the whole sum and substance of really everything in the Bible, especially everything in prophecy, is about Jesus Christ. Amen. It's all about Him. Everything's headed toward a wedding and a kingdom. And then we're left at the end of the book of Revelation with, ooh, something new. Yeah. Left on the edge of our seat where there's a new heaven and new earth, and we don't know much after that. But everything is headed toward a wedding and a lot of our prophecy is talking about God's plans and a, the, the nature and outline and person and plans of Jesus Christ. So, hallelujah. I want you to think of that word in a, in, in differently tonight. Sometimes people use it flippantly. Sometimes people use it sarcastically. Sometimes people use it in a way, in a song or something like, why'd you say that word? That wasn't fitting. Or in conversation. But here we see hallelujah. It's an hallelujah that happens here unlike any other. So the next time you and I say that, remember, we read it here, and there's going to be a day where we will say it with these. We will say, Alleluia, in a most thrilling way, for a most thrilling reason. You're getting married. Hallelujah. Some of my favorite days was my wedding, and then my, I loved going to uh, my daughter, Johanna and Will's wedding. I was like, this is a fun day. And then two months later, Michael and Estrella, they're here tonight. They had their wedding outside. I'm like, this is a really cool day. I like this. They helped because they had Mexican food, too, at the reception. That was a blessing. <laughs> and then, you know, people in the church, it's been, but those are like some. But I think if you never get that, you will hear. We're all engaged and we're all going to have a wedding. And we'll say, hallelujah. And the, the false bride is going to be out of the way, and the true bride will be there. 